everybody. Thank you for joining us for me to be launching what I consider to be one of the finest memoirs that I've ever published, and I have done a lot in the last nine years, White Trash by Terry Angelos. Um, and I've specifically invited Tracy Going, who's also one of my authors and also the author of a brilliant book called Brutal Legacy. So I chose my person to interview Terry very carefully because you are two women that I'm very proud to be a publisher of. Guys, I mean, this cover, <laughs> when I first, I, and I have to just tell you, Terry designed it. She's not just a flippin' brilliant author. She's also a fantastic artist. And I know that it's a, it's a probably a risky cover. It's a risky title, White Trash, My Year is a High Class Call Girl. There's a lot of risk in this book, the mm. way that we've jacketed it, the way that we've titled it. But I just loved it. I loved, loved, loved every single thing about not just the outside, but the inside. Terry and I met, um, well, Terry, it was probably about three, four years ago now. Yes. Um, at one of my Johannesburg, three, three years, at Johannesburg writing workshop, the ones we used to do in person before the pandemic. And Terry flew all the way from Durban to be with me that weekend. And um, I thought she was a fantastic writer. I wasn't really in the in the right frame of mind, in a way, for her story at that time. It was very provocative. She did provocative writing in the course. And um, I sort of wished her goodbye. And I thought, well, she can write, but I'm probably never going to see the light, you know, her on my radar again. And then last year, Terry came back to me. And she had done a lot of work on the book. And when I started reading it, I was completely blown away. Guys, it's a very important book. Um, not just because it's got this fabulous title and this fabulous uh, cover, but because it's in many ways addressing issues of race, I think, that are very uncomfortable for white people to deal with. And I really feel in some way it is quite a revolutionary book. And you know how much I love a revolution. So it's pushing buttons. It's talking about things that should be hidden, that have been hidden, that are difficult. The call cool girl stuff is at the center of the book. But actually, there's a whole lot of other stuff that's happening in this book. And I do love a writer who can write well. And this one is an absolute dream to read. Terry Angelos. Bloody well done. I'm so proud of your book. You are a fantastic, awesome, inspiring, amazingly hard working, driven, ambitious, beautiful creature. And oh. I'm so happy you got your, your happy ending. Steve, I want to thank you. I was going to say for giving birth to Terry, but in some <laughs> way, Steve, you did it. You, you took her by the hand and you led her out of the darkness. And you are a special, I'm going to cry, but you're a special man. And I would love to meet you one day. So I said more than what I wanted to. But thank you, Exclusive Books, for hosting um, this, this webinar. You've been an absolute rock for all of us publishers and authors during this very difficult time. Buy this book. Do yourselves a favor. It will change your perspective. It might even change your life. Tracy going, thank you once again for being um, in agreement to do this. You know, I adore you. And I think you're an absolutely fabulous hostess. And I'm just going to leave you to and I'm going to watch from the wings and have a beautiful, beautiful launch tonight. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you. And welcome to everyone who's joined us online. Um, and yes, thanks to Exclusive Books. And also, we're going to ask if you'd like to send your comments in as well. So you can actually send them in and we'll ask questions to Terry just now and then just sort of continue with the discussion. So, Terry, this book of yours, White Trash, um, is, well, just to read the back cover, it says, Hungry for Adventure and Wildly Curious, 19-year-old Terry drops out of her fine art degree in South Africa and escapes to London, where she soon descends into the city's seedy underbelly begin working as a high-class call girl. It's a compelling read. It is beautifully written. And actually, 
I, Terry, if you don't mind, I actually just want to read some of the beginning of the actual introduction. I mean, you expect an introduction to not be that compelling. And yet when you pick up this book and you just read these first few words and you realize it is going to be a beauty, it is a beautifully written book. So you say here, there is a wilderness embedded in my heart and etched on my soul. It is deeply imprinted on my childhood like ragged erosion scars the landscape. It is the taste of ripe mango juice running down my chin. It is the scent of dust and rain. It is the dull shine of a rifle in the bedroom corner. And that is how the book starts. And, you know, you always sort of think when someone writes a memoir, it's about a story that they have to tell and maybe it isn't necessarily well written, but this is unbelievably beautifully written. And you set the tone there. And of course you start off in the old Rhodesia and that's where you grow up. And this is your story. So let's just talk about it. Um, you talk about growing up sort of half English, half British, half African, but none mm. of it all. So tell us a little about where you did actually grow up. So I was born in um, Bulawayo um, in the Catholic hospital. I was delivered by midwives. And according to my father, I gave him a very stern look when I came out and scowled and looked <laughs> quite um, yeah, unimpressed with my lot in life. But um, we, I ended up in a tiny town called Sonoya, um, which is the bastardization of the actual, um, you know, the original name, which is um, Chinoy. And unbeknownst to me, that there's a whole history around that little town. Um, it was almost like kind of two parallel worlds that um, ran alongside each other. One was the one I grew up in, and the other was the um the the war that was going on and Sonoya was actually the place that um started off the civil war. The first seven freedom fighters fired the first shots against the Rhodesian security forces and it was known as um the second Chimaringa. And so um yeah I, I kind of you know my childhood was very um a lot of freedom, freedom to explore, and um, I was a very curious and imaginative child. Um, but I kind of lived in this almost like a little safety bubble, I suppose, because this this little town was one little bubble, and then within this town we lived on this um, kind of sprawling um, school campus where my, where my father was a teacher and um, where we lived. And so I just had a lot of place and space to roam and explore. Um, but there was always the sense that just beyond the fringes of this little town, beyond the, beyond this bubble, there was just all kinds of monsters and terrorists yeah, yes. and I mean, chaos. You, happening. you tell the story of going to Kariba and you know, and you sort of all traveling convoy, and it was the time of the bush war, and of course everybody's got rifles out, and you're looking out for for the terrorists. And then yeah. your family is what you describe take part in the in the chicken run where you know the whites move from from Rhodesia and a lot of them actually come to South Africa, I think. Yeah. Um and, and you're part of this and I and and then of course you I think that one of the reasons for the book, and you can tell us later, was was to really sort of explore where this turning point came in your life. And suddenly at the age of eleven, you're up, to, you're taken away from this so-called safe environment. You're living on a school prom premises. Everything's safe. You're running around bare feet. And suddenly you don't just move towns, you move countries, and you mm -hmm. come to South Africa. And and I got the feeling from the book that this was the point where you think possibly where things started going a little bit off the rails for you. You you became displaced really. Yes. Uh, definitely. I think, I think one of the tough things for me and one of the, the things that I wanted to try and investigate through writing the story was that I, you know, I came from a very loving middle class family, you know, in Rhodesia, um, teaching was a highly respected uh, profession. So if your parents were teachers, if your father was Mr. Wither and you you know, you, you had a very high standing in the community. You were very well respected. And, um, you know, my parents obviously were very passionate about education. So, um, so going from that to kind of this whole other world, um, was actually really through, it really threw me out. Um, and so I think that was the journey was to kind of think, how does this girl who kind of had everything going for her? How does she get from A to B? You know, I wanted to kind of almost trace the trajectory. And kind of go back and think, okay, you know, I wasn't sexually abused as a child. I had a happy childhood. 
yes, it was a bit chaotic in that these things were going around me. It wasn't necessarily kind of safe, but my parents did everything they could to, um, you know, give us a good life. You know, we're still going to go on holiday. We're going to be terrorists that might shoot us from the bush, but we, we're going to get in our car. We're going to, you know, we're going to kind of live this exuberant life. Um, so I think for me, it was just trying to figure out where were those kind of breaking points? Where were the, where was the point where things kind of leave, where the ground fell out from underneath me? Um, and it was, and it was, you know, you'd be, you'd come top of the class or whatever it was, or you won the races where you, where you grew up and suddenly you're put into this environment and nobody knows you, you've got no history. Um, nobody took you seriously. Um, it, you know, and, and it was a sense of displacement. And Melinda referred to it in the introduction about how you talk about this. You talk about the, you know, the white, um, the white Rhodesian. And I mean, it applies mm-hmm. to all of us. You, you grow up in this environment where you, like, for yourself, you know, you've got the bush war, you've got the terrorists out there. And and mm. suddenly the whole narrative changes. And suddenly the terrorist is not a terrorist. He is actually a freedom fighter. And suddenly what you thought was, you know, good, nice white people suddenly have become the enemy. And there is this whole sort of displacement that happens. And suddenly you have to, everything you knew growing up has changed. Mm. That is no longer true. Mm. And, and, and you carry this theme through the entire book, really. This displacement mm. and finding yourself. Yeah, I think you know. I think sometimes you know we kind of we can underestimate the the experiences that really kind of make us feel displaced or make us feel like we've lost our footing. Um, you know, and I think that that year in particular, I was I think I was eleven turning twelve, which is quite a vulnerable age. And just because of circumstances, I went to um, five schools within the space of a year. So, you know, it wasn't just about immigrating, but it was moving top, you know, moving kind of from such a sort of kind of safe place to just really being out in the world. And I think, I think, um, you know, we, we kind of wanted, we've kind of tried to move away from all of those things, from, from what would happen, you know, if the, the blacks ruled the country, all the terrible things that were going to happen, everything was going to fall apart. And moved all the way to South Africa, where really things were not actually much different in, at all. Um, and in fact, I found it quite almost a sort of unnerving in a different way, in that it was, you know, in, in Rhodesia, racism was quite, quite kind of blatant um, and quite in your face, and you knew what it was, and you understood where what you believed in, and what you understood, and what you thought, and 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 all the all the, the kind of worldview that you had, but in South Africa it was kind of even more kind of t- twisted and 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 I think just being a teenager, I didn't really have have the ability to process a lot of a lot of that. Um, and then going obviously going to London, that was like a huge eye opener in terms of um, really looking at my worldview and really understanding. Um, how I saw myself, how I saw others, um, you know, and I, I, I think getting to London. So yes, schoolgirl in, in in Durban. Your your parents, teachers, um, yeah, and and suddenly you go all rebellious and you go wild, and 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 the next thing you know, you're living in London. But you said in your book that you became aware of your power, of your of your sensuality as a young as a young girl. Um, and you write that you you were not beautiful, but you knew your power and you knew how to use it. So this awareness of self takes place at quite an early age. Yeah, about 17, not too young. I think I was a very gawky teenager and, you know, I was really scrawny and I had the most terrible haircuts. I was even sent home from school for one of them. So I kind of, I kind of found my identity in this kind of rebel punk, you know, um, you know, art student. But um, I think when I realized that, when I kind of saw that I had an effect on men and suddenly was able to see myself differently when when, I, when boys seemed to find me attractive, and I promise you it wasn't when I was a teenager. <laughs> there was no one coming for me. <laughs> but, yeah, 17, 18, I think um, – yeah, I met I met a young guy that had quite a big impact on me, and 
yeah, I just kind of discovered this other self side to myself. And I think all those insecurities and all that kind of not being able to be, you know, be, you know, being the outsider, not fitting in, not knowing my place, I suddenly found an identity that I could really grab a hold of. And it did. It gave me a feeling of power. Um, so you leave South Africa, you drop out of varsity, and you go off to London, and you are, what, 18, 19 years old? Just 19, yeah. 19 years old. And um, you're there, and you, you realize you need to make some money, and suddenly this offer to hostess. And, um, you go into it, and you know that there might be more to just making men buy champagne in this club and you talk about living a life beneath the pavements and I thought that was such a you know it was uh, it, it sort of really created this picture I mean you I could just imagine going down stairs into all these clubs and dark holes to make this money and to start living this high life so so just tell us how it actually happened how did it come about that you ended up working beneath the pavements so I think the first thing is that I tried, I, I had 70 pounds to my name when I arrived in London after I paid for my ferry and all my other things. So I, I worked out I had two days to live and I had the phone number for someone at a flat in Wimbledon. And so I tried all pairing and I really hated it. And honestly, you know, it was just another, just kind of revealed another layer of that, that racism, that privilege, like, I'm not here to iron people's clothes and, you know, pick up, you know, pick up the kids' things. That's beneath me, you know, this idea of being, you know, I thought I was like a friend of the family and then they were, you know, telling me my ironing was useless. Like, who are these people? Um, and in, in London, you know, in England, things are very classist. So I was, I was, I was the maid. I was the nanny, you know. But anyway, it didn't work out. So I found myself back in London with no job and, um, I just had remembered um, some old, that's the old friend of my mother saying about fabulous, fabulous gentlemen's clubs in the 60s, you know, just so champagne and get tips and it's just absolutely wonderful, such easy money. So, of course, when I picked up the newspaper and saw Hostess Wanted, I was like, glory, glory, hallelujah. This is, this is like a dream come true. This actually exists, this kind of fantasy world this lady had told me about. And I thought, well, you know, I, I'm already, I'm, at this stage, I'm already like, you know, very rebellious, open-minded, like, you know, don't be a stuck-up prude, whatever, this bohemian, like I'm here on my adventure and mindset. So, I was all up for just seeing what it was all about and thinking, yeah, I can handle myself in this world. I can go and do this. And, um, you know, when I look back, I think what I realized is um, I wouldn't go as far as to call it grooming, but they definitely had a way of kind of luring young girls in, um, just making it seem a little bit more innocuous. I like the way that you, well, I mean, it was interesting the way that you, you you thought that you would have a handle on this, you know, that you'd have the upper hand. And you sort of went in initially almost pitting your clients or customers or the champagne buyers, um, sort of looking down at them and thinking, you know, miserable old men, sad. And, and of course, it doesn't take long before that flips, doesn't it? Mm. And suddenly you're looking at yourself with new eyes. Yeah, I think, you know, I think initially, um, you know, it can, um, you, so I think I learned quite easily to kind of just shut out those parts of my brain that were sending off the warning signals. And um, I was quite good at dressing up and playing the part and actually found the whole, this whole experience quite, um, uh, not engaging, but quite, I was quite like intrigued by this whole thing. No, like, and I mean, um, you're living the high life, and you, you know, um, you're wearing beautiful clothes. You're living in a lovely part of London, so there is a thrill to it, and and you know that you're 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 crossing the line. Um, yeah, but you think you can manage yes. it, and you think it's it's exciting until it doesn't become definitely. And I think it's like it's one of those things where I thought, this is not who I am. This is just something I'm doing. It's like I'm just having an experience. I'm just kind of trying it out and I'm not one of those girls I'm still me and um, and then because you are actually dressing up and there is a lot of role play I kind of and the power that goes with it so I, I got quite 
pulled into this whole idea of, okay, so who is this man? What does he want? What does he need from you? What kind of conversation does he want to have? And so I almost saw it as a challenge, um, you know, going in there and being able to... To control, um, manipulate, and have some level of power. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you, and then you say that you, you, you talk about setting fire to your morality. I mean, those are just such powerful words and you become immoral. Now, um, how, you know, sort of looking back and, and having relived this and redoing the, and you're writing the book and going back into memory. How do you, how do you feel about it now? So I think, um, I had done, you know, I'm 32 married with three children. So I wouldn't have got here if I hadn't done a lot of, emotional work and you know had an incredible tribe of girlfriends and support and family love and and all of those things but I underestimated what kind of transformation I would experience in actually writing the book I kind of had an idea of how this how this kind of what I call you know this kind of um cauldron of things just bubbled and boiled and spilled over you know I had an idea of it I think I'm really painstakingly writing it and thinking through each thing. You know, when you you, you know when you're writing, you, you're trying you you really trying to pull the truth out um, and confronting difficult things about about yourself. I think I think the most powerful thing that came out of it was being able to look at my younger self. So by by writing in the present, that you're always with me in that moment as we're going along. By putting myself back in that moment. I just realized how young, how naive um, I, I was, um, you know, how much of my whole worldview about life, about my identity, about everything just kind of just fell apart. And I think um, just being able to have compassion on that 20-year-old girl, on that 19-year-old girl, on that 11-year-old girl and um, was just so empowering and so liberating. Um, it, it really, you know, there were moments when I was like, I can't believe I'm going to actually put this out there. You know, it's, it's so, I mean, it's so hectical. It is so uncomfortable. And, you know, even all the choices about the title and all of these things, it was, uh, you know, there were some very difficult and uncomfortable choices. But the thing is, at the end of it, I just feel like I, I have no mask anymore. I'm just, this is me. This is what I've done. And I, I think more able to embrace, still embrace that, that wilderness, that part of me that's curious and adventurous and, um, a little bit outrageous, but just know that with, with years and with, with just my spirituality and all of those things, it's not tempered. It's balanced. Um, because I, I think, so. you know, we need to, we need to ask that question. I mean, why did you, why do you actually write the book? I mean, I, you know, as, as I was reading, I was thinking, but why do you want to go into the past like that? You know, you, you're living this, this wonderful life. Why do you want to tell everybody about it? Because for a long time in your life, you, you didn't want to tell anybody and you especially avoided sort of not telling, you know, what mm. you, what you've been doing, living a year of your life as, as a high class poor girl in London. Mm. So why did you decide to actually write this book now? I had a grand, a great grandmother who I suspect was quite a notorious old lady. There's kind of stories and rumors there, but there's, there, she definitely was quite outrageous and kind of, you know, did some crazy things. And I always wish I knew the details, no matter how terrible they were. I always wish, you know, everyone always said she should have written a book. And then my grandmother was also such a character and, um, you know, I've got these women, this, I'm, I'm sort of through generations of really dynamic, um, women who do, you know, who, who kind of break frontiers and break molds. And, um, I wished I'd known their stories. So there was that. And then I think also just thinking, you know, I, I haven't always been an easy person to be married to or uh, I've not been a conventional mother by any, any stretch of the imagination um you know i do have that sort of typical artistic temperament and all kinds of things and i I'm, I'm, i think this is just a way of saying this is me so 
that my children and those people that know me and those people that come come in the future don't look upon me and think, oh, she was such a great businesswoman and family woman and had it all together. You know, that they really know me, um, warts and all. And then I think, you know, failure and shame are things that we all struggle with. And, you know, I think the ending of my story is, is so triumphant and so victorious and ends with so much um, love and joy and, you know, not that it's been an easy ride since then, but I think it's just letting people know that, you know, we've all done shameful things. We've all got secrets. Um, that it, that it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to hold you back. Um, and oh, I know not everyone's going to write and put their dirty lingerie up for everyone to see, but. Yeah. And how old are your children, Terry? Because, I mean, this, you know, they're going to read it or they're not going to read it. I mean, I know I've written a memoir and, and nobody in my, you know, my children haven't read it and my husband hasn't read it. Um, I'm not sure if they ever will. I mean, you know, it's there if ever they want to read it. So how old are your children? How have they responded to this? And how's your husband responded to it? So I'll start with my children. So I waited until my youngest finished school. That was kind of, um, I wasn't going to do anything before then because I think the school environment is just one of those closed communities that can be ugly. So when he's out of the school environment, so I've got a 19-year-old, a 22-year-old, and a 25-year-old. Um, and um, I I spoke to each of them and said, this is, this is my life. What happened, and what I'd like to do, and I just decided beforehand. I just kind of drew like a little circle around who really matters in terms of my decision to tell the story, and it was my husband and my three children. Because if you if you make the circle too big, you won't ever do it. Um, and um, yeah, not everyone in my family is being comfortable with it, and I understand that. Um, my husband has been incredible really incredible and um you know we would have these situations where i'd write something and he'd be like no you're being too vague you need to actually say did, did you do this or did you not do this and i'd be like okay then i'd go back and i'd i'd, I'd write it more specifically and they'd be like no that's too specific <laughs> we had all these kinds of things going backwards and forwards and um, I think what was difficult for him was was the writing and the present and the details. He obviously knew my history and um, you know we we don't have any secrets, but I think I think he had to kind of have some more detailed information and then have me in that moment. So the one day, <laughs> the one day he comes home and I'm like a basket case on the couch, I'm bawling my eyes out and um, he's like, what's wrong with you? I just read it about when I broke up with Seth, and, you know. So, it's like, so, 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 so I'm there on my couch crying about breaking the heartbreak with my ex-boyfriend. But the thing was, I relived that. And well, Seth um, was part of the reason you left, um, um, yes. you know, Natal yeah. in the first but, uh, case in the first place, and went off to London. And of course, you, you. I mean, I don't want to give too much of a story away, but of course, yeah. you met your husband soon after you actually walked away from from yeah. the darkness of the life that you were yeah. living in London. Um, I wanted to ask, as we'll talk about, you know, sort of how you did, you know, what was the defining moment for you that you did decide that this was enough? And, and actually, I wanted to know, so you told us that you wrote, you were crying and you wrote because you were talking, you, you were remembering leaving mm. that man behind. Um, were there any other scenes that you wrote in the book because there are a few there that I would have thought would have taken you really into some form of darkness were there other scenes in the book that were that really sort of impacted you heavily I think um they were they were the things that were difficult to write about actually in fact the hardest thing was racism to be honest with you um, because just to be real about something that is just so dark and ugly and to, 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 to write it in the now. Um, so it was that. And then obviously just how to handle some of the sexual material because I didn't want to write sleazy, smutty. You know, I wanted to go much more to, yeah, say what happened, but go more into the psychological and emotional, um, and actually take, take you into that world with me. Um, 
But yeah, I think it was the racism. I think it was just, um, yeah, it was just, it was really hard and really scary because, um, you know, Mel was very, very, very kind in the introduction. I think she nearly threw me out of that workshop because some of the stuff I was writing was just, it was so raw about racism and so ugly. But um, I didn't want to water it down. I didn't want to sanitize it. Um, and, and you so carry it in the different scenes. You, you know, you yes, and that was intentional. Well. And because I wanted to kind of, you know, look, the thing is that being able to say, look, here's a story about a year as a podcast it's a catchy thing. It is a, you know, it is kind of a bit sensationalist. It is a bit of a shock reveal to, to some people. But that honestly is the hook. That is the hook um, to pull you in, but to pull you into a world and into a place where you are confronted with all of these different things. You are confronted with your morality. You are confronted with what you're willing to do, what, how far you're willing to go when no one is watching, when nobody is there, when no one's holding you accountable. Um, and then, you know, this. there's just kind of this constant... Um, like you say, it's just weaves in and out of the story, this issue of, of racism and then identifying as white trash. And I think for me, the, the, the lowest, the lowest point was that moment when I realized I couldn't just pack up all these little sexy outfits and the sexy boots and the wig and just put it in a box, leave it, leave it there, fly back home and ha ha, everything's wonderful again. When I, when I actually realized that I, this was me that I had become this 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 rubbish this 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 piece of trash um and where I believed some of the terrible things that that the men were saying to me and calling me obviously not to give away some of the yeah I just the situations quite a few messages coming in and I'm not um I'm trying to read them because the one was it was compliment to your writing as well saying how beautifully it's written um and i'm not sure it's just been put up here i think it might be the the back page that's just been put up here just talk about the title i mean when i read this white trash it's just it just sort of hit me in the gut because it's what you don't want to be and and i just thought why would you call yourself that? I mean, it's such a loaded word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a piece of rubbish. It's um, white trash. You think about, you know, people living in trailer parks. And, in fact, you do actually talk about when you first came to South Africa, you were staying in a caravan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of really is our definition generally. You know, what, what I mean, why, why, why? It's such a demeaning title, isn't it? Such mm-hmm. a demeaning word, phrase. Mm-hmm. Why did you go with it? I mean, it's very brave. White trash. Yeah, my mother wants to know the same thing. She's appalled at the title. Um, and, um, you know, my, my original title was, um, the cure for boredom is curiosity. This is my a phrase I love. There is no cure for curiosity. But I think, um, I think when I went to that really dark, the, the place where I was really broken, um, where I just um, had nothing left, no dignity, no safety, um, no self-esteem, nothing. You know, that's what I felt like, felt like nothing, just filthy, um, dirty. Um, and then I think because because the... Because there was this kind of also an examination of my own white supremacy, my own privilege, my own racism, and how that shaped me. Um, that white trash, you know, is it, it's a it's almost like it's the very it's the very extreme depiction of that kind of bigoted mindset. That's, that's what we associated. And interestingly enough, it's almost like so if you think of the two things that could be almost kind of so we we talk about black diamonds and white trash. So it's only when the only time that whiteness is actually um, kind of graded or valued is when it's white trash because anything aside from white trash is white 
goodness and whiteness. And the only time we grade blackness is when we say black diamond. So now anything that's not a diamond is the less that. So I, I, I wanted, there's, there's a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of wordplay in this title and it's designed to be confrontational. Um, and to, to, to be, to create discomfort. It's intentional. It, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It's sometimes I think, you know, what, what was I doing? But it's that kind of like that discomfort of really looking at who you are, really looking at the things and, and that of course the, the bag on the, uh, the paper bag on your face as well, um, over your head is the, is the, you know, the, the KKK, um, connotation immediately. Yes. Um, yes. Why did you actually go with that picture? Because when I looked at it, it just kicked me in the gut. There were so many things about that that just um, the background really resonated with me with um, with Rhodesia, the Lake Kariba, all the places of my holidays that kind of lush, that lush, that lake. The reference to white supremacy with the Ku Klux Klan. I just um, I like kind of this the subtle innuendo of that. And then this kind of gawky girl who's just awkward and skinny and uncomfortable and vulnerable. And almost uh, almost a child still. I mean it's very much a childlike child. yeah. like body of a of a very young girl, not quite yeah. a woman. And I mean it's yeah. really went over as as a very young woman to London. What yeah. um question that came in here, what is uh, what's been the role of your relationship with God in which triumphant end to your book so we'll talk about that because um god came after um after the defining moment in your life in london where there was this horrendous scene in the car um where actually life was really in danger and and suddenly mm -hmm. you realized you actually realized how dangerous it was and that you were really treading a very fine line so yeah. what really was that defining moment for you where you decided, you know what, I'm actually going to walk away from this. It didn't matter if I walked away with nothing. So you literally did. You you walked away from this grand, supposedly grand lifestyle to nothing. I think um I I reached a point where I um I kind of I could see my future self and it was terrifying. And um I, you know, I've been around enough to see kind of future selves, future versions of myself in that, in that world. Um, I think the, the, the kind of the reality was that I realized this is, this is who I am. This is not just what I've done. It's not just a few little escapades. Um, and I've, I've gone in so deep that I don't even know how to begin to get out. But I think, what I, what I thought to myself was, um, I've, I've got two options. Either kill myself because I really can't face going into that, you know, 40 something year old bag version of my life. you had a steady client who, who kept warning you. He kept saying, yes, he actually took you to places to show you what your yes. future going to be like if you didn't make another choice in your life and I couldn't see it until things had kind of got really ugly and really terrible I, I couldn't see it you know that we're still wanting to just push that out of my mind and focus on the glitz and the glamour and the money and the cocaine and all of those things and the holidays um but I think I just had this thought so I've kind of I've kind of you know gone for life with this wild abandon and done Done, you know, kind of given myself no limits. Whatever I thought, I've just tried whatever, and I've just come up empty. You know, I've just come up actually not just empty, but broken. And I just remember thinking, so the only thing I haven't really like, gone at with wild abandon is a spiritual path. I haven't really considered God. And, you know, I was just very frank with God. I just said, look, you know, um, I need to know if you exist or you don't exist because I'm kind of, re I've, I've actually, I'm at the end of my rope now. It's, it's either kill myself or you've got to show me something. You know, and I'm just going to have this very frank conversation with God and saying, um, so can you take me to your people? 
show me your people. But I think, I think in that moment, it was just the acknowledgement that I, I wasn't coping. You needed and something else. And, you know, I needed, you needed something else. Someone else. Now, you sit here tonight and you've written this book and you're looking all glamorous and gorgeous and everything. But the reality yeah. is that this could have gone horribly wrong. Mm. Well, you were lucky the book? To, you. The book life, or my life? Your life. Your life could yeah. have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel, do you ever think about that? Or do you, did you just think, well, you know, I made a decision I, and I walked away from it and that's who I am? Or do you ever think that there is still a part of you that is in the past? I mean, I'm talking about now, actually, I suppose that's a different question. That's shame and guilt, really. But it could have gone horribly wrong, this story. Definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, it was such a wonderful reminder of just how lucky I am. I mean, for me, for me, actually, to be to be married, just to be married, and in a faithful, loving relationship is a miracle. Um, and it is all about relationships, and that's the other theme that comes across in the book as well. Um, is because you you you've you've walked away from this lifestyle, you've ended up in this really a Christian home almost um you know where girls are coming in and out and and and, and being helped yes. and then suddenly you got a call from home from your father to say that your mother is very very sick and you come back mm. and that's really where you really physically remove yourself from from everything and as i was reading that you you come back and you see your mother and you talk a little about your relationship and you talk about it being sort of fractured and and rather tenuous and and i thought you know it really is about relationships and that's what life is really about it's about mm. having relationships and finding our space within this world and, yeah. and you and your mother and I thought well what is, how does she feel about this book as well you know how has this impacted on your relationship with her which was mm. always a little bit um a little bit difficult yeah well look I was difficult let me just put it like that I wasn't e I wasn't easy especially once I got into that quite rebellious um phase you know I mean at one stage, I, my parents were teaching at, you know, a very prestigious private girls, I mean, private boys school, you know, junior, senior primary. And I was up to all kinds of nonsense, you know. I mean, I really was like, you know, coming out of the border master's bedroom at 7 o'clock in the morning while my dad was waking up the boys for school and tutu and sneaking past my mom's grade one classroom. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't easy. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that was then, that was at 20 years old. You know, my mom and I you know, have worked through a lot of things. I think, um, and my mom is, my mom is incredible. She's, um, she's a writer herself. She writes children's books. She's very talented. Um, I think, I think, I, I think if I could have told her what happened, a long time ago, she'd have had more time to process it. But I kind of, I had to have a lot of really, very uncomfortable conversations, just letting everybody know, look, this is what I'm going to be doing and this is what it's about. So I think it's just, it's just some people haven't had as much time to process and, you know, for my, for a mother to find out about her daughter having struggled and having gone through difficult things. And she said it's more that she couldn't be there for me at that time. Um, so, yeah, because it was um, when when you left London um, or when you came back, um, and your mother wanted you to continue with your life. You know, she wanted you to mm. go back to university. She wanted you to go back mm. to the man that you had orig originally left the country for mm -hmm. from. And and I, it was interesting because she wanted it on her terms. And again, this rebellion of yours, you know, kicked in mm -hmm. and you didn't go back to varsity and you mm -hmm. went off to Joburg and of course really yeah. fell in love with a man that you're married yeah. to today. Um, yeah. So, so we've spoken about why you've written this book and sort of wanting to tell your story. And at the end as well, you talk about how important it is to tell your story because then you're able to put those pieces together and you're able mm -hmm. to, Almost shift and shape as we go along. So, did you find it healing? Because I know when I wrote my own memoir, having to go back into memory and getting to sort of relive all those emotions. I mean, when you wrote the rape scene, you must have you you had to relive the ordeal in order to write about it. Yeah, um, you know. So, have you found some level of healing, or did you go in with the intention of of healing, or did you feel that you were fairly well? 
pretty much healed to start with as you started writing. Yeah, I, I did feel well healed. I think, as I said earlier, I think it was more um, it was more li- a feeling of being liberated, like something that just been kind of trapped or stuck inside is now is now free. And I think you know, obviously, you know, I've confided into people as I've needed to over the years. It's not, it's not a huge secret for, for many people. But I think this this took me to a different place. I said, you know, it 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 has been it has been very cathartic, as they say. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's just liberating. It's just like I think also it's quite amazing to me how how many people have opened up to me about things they felt shame about. And I I, I must have listened to Brene Brown's podcast and talks like over and over in writing this book. Was it just, you know, just that mantra of, you know, it takes bravery to be vulnerable. You know, you can't be courageous without vulnerability. Um, so I think there was a lot of that that, that helped me. And, think, and thinking just, you know, this might help somebody else be brave and talk about something that's been difficult and, com- and uncomfortable. You know, not everyone has That's coming from Kathleen Hanger, who says, congratulations, Terry. Do you think that your book will bring healing and hope? to to other women um yeah and i think you pretty much asked that question yeah i i hope so i mean that was definitely a big part of the intention of writing the story is um shay i've carried a lot of shame about that a lot of shame about um about what i did because why you know why what i didn't even have a good excuse like i was abused as a child or abandoned or you know i couldn't even kind of put even I pulled up the victim card, you know, and just say, "Look at me. This is what I. Did. This is why I did all of these things." So there was a lot of shame around around that that I chose, that I chose to do such um, shameful things. Um, yeah, yeah. I think very often, you know, we write stories where we are the victim and um, things that have happened that are shameful. I mean, you know, think about my own life, you know, things that happened with people did to me. And but what you did in your book, and that's why I think it's enormously courageous to write it, is because you actually you, you did these things to yourself. Mm. You chose this lifestyle for a part of your life. I mean a very short part of your life, fortunately, a year yeah. of your life. But it's it's going to take I mean, you'll always carry the memories with you. You will always Mm. doesn't matter how much you process it, there are going to be times where you have some, you still feel a little bit of shame or certainly mm. regret. I mean, regret mm. must be one of the emotions, mm. is it? It is, but then I don't think I'd be where I am now if I hadn't gone on that journey. Um, so, and I think, I think I'm one of those, those people that has to learn the lesson the hard way. I was quite arrogant and looked down on people. You know, I mean, I actually tried to seduce this poor young Christian man who was just trying to love Jesus and be a good person. You know, that's not yeah. enough. And that's the man you married? No, that's another man. No, I didn't try to seduce Steve, but then I mended my ways. But um, no, that was before. I just, you know, this kind of, this girl, this woman that I'd become, you know, she, um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd be here if I hadn't gone, gone through that. The thing about speaking about shame is that when you, when you, when you tell something shameful about yourself to somebody and they react with empathy and compassion, that is healing. That is the part where we find the healing. It's not necessarily in the telling of the story, but it's in finding it's in finding that other people are like, you know what, I also did something terrible or, you know, I, this, this thing I did, I'm so ashamed about. And so I think, yeah, and not, not that everyone needs to go and write, write a book, but I think, I think, um, you know, if you've got someone that you can confide in that you trust, don't just go telling your, your sordid secrets to anybody. But yeah, when, when shame is met with empathy and compassion, it's it's profoundly healing. Um, 
And yeah. I think, you're right, everybody has something in their past or more than one thing, many things, you know, that we yeah. are ashamed of. And, and you just have been brave enough to actually come out and share it with us. So it's uh, we've got Rebecca Russ who says, congratulations and thank you for your vulnerability. Looking forward to the read. You're going to love it, Rebecca. It's really and then Zandi says yeah. her copy has arrived today and she says, can't wait to get stuck into it. Terry, proud of you and thank you for being so real. And I think that's really what it is. And your book as well. I mean, you, you're you very real. You're very honest. Um, you tell it like it was. Um, it was, yeah, I wish you much luck and much. I mean, many, many people go out and buy the book. So it's called White Trash, yeah. My Year as a High-Class Call Girl. Terry's got one behind her as well. Um, and it's a beautiful thank you book. to Exclusive Books. I feel very honoured. It's like a real source of pride that my book is in Exclusive Books. It's, yeah, that's means a lot and Linda, Linda says, well done, Terry. Looking forward to reading the book. Well, Linda, you're going to love it. Terry, um, Thank you very much, um, and may, as you say, sell many copies and may people enjoy reading the book because it really is truly an absolutely wonderful read. Oh, so thank, thank you, Tracy. Can I just quickly say thank you to you, Tracy. I really feel honoured to have had you um, interview me, such a classy and professional lady. And thank you to Melinda. Um, gosh, um, just there's so many things to thank Melinda for, but she's just incredible, and she does what she does for local authors is just mind-boggling. She's just she's she's a national treasure. We're so lucky to have her. Thank you to Jean, who's done all the behind-the-scenes work, and Keris, and thank you to um, Kelly May with the editing of the book and just polishing up all those little nitty-gritty things. Wilna, who took my my cover image and put it all so beautifully together with the back and linked everything so I just wanted to really thank all those people, all my friends, family and loved ones who supported me on this journey well, That's it, we hope this is not the last the first and the last book because it's so beautifully written, well done Terry <laughs> Yeah, it's an audio writing book, isn't it? <laughs> it's work, hey yo, 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 but I loved it, I loved it so much Thanks Terry, thank you everybody Goodbye. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you.